This show contains badass material and foul f***ing language. Some people may find offensive. What else did you expect? Nostalgia really whips the llama's ass. Hey there, I'm Lisa. And I'm Agnes. And together, we are Sass and Sips, a watch, rewatch podcast. We want to personally invite you to check out our podcast, where we'll be discussing TV shows from two perspectives. One who has seen the show before. And one who's not so sure. While we drink a lot. <laughs> I mean, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> Every season, we will focus on a new show. And for our first season, we have chosen the iconic show, Lost. We hope that you will come over and check us out. We can be found on your favorite podcast platform or at sassandsips.com. If you're down for drinks, friends, and television, then make sure you listen and subscribe. Because we're down for all of it. Yes. So listen with your bestie, open your favorite bottle, and sip and sass with Sass and Sips. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Y'all be loving this shit right here. <laughs> L-I-M-P. This kid right here. <laughs> rhyming, uh. rhyming here with here. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the wheezing starts. <laughs> it doesn't take much for the wheezing to start. It really doesn't. It, I think he... <laughs> even thinking about wheezing just gets me going. <laughs> There's just something so magical about a good wheeze. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you, it's almost... A wheeze is actually easy to do. You just have to... You have to laugh, but not, not want to laugh loud. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, don't let the laugh out, but just like... The, the thought of laughing without smiling. <laughs> you can't even do it. <laughs> without smiling, like. Yeah. <laughs> it feels weird. It does feel weird. <laughs> like when I climb the rope in gym class. <laughs> Garth. Take me, Garth. Where? <laughs> I'm low on gas and you need a jacket. Ooh, there's but so there's. I'm trying to think of six degrees of uh, of Kevin Bacon yeah. to what we're going to talk about because Wayne's World, starring Mike Myers as Wayne Campbell, oh. who happens to be Canadian. Wow! <laughs> actually, that was two. That was one degree. That was one degree. Yeah. I thought you were actually going a little bit further because Batman's playing on in the background. Kim oh. Basinger and Kim Basinger and the Take Me Garth. Ooh, that's true too. I thought, I thought that might have been it. Well, if you don't know, uh, we take a couple of detours before we can get started. So this is this is our roadblock. Got to loosen the limbs. Yeah, unique New York, unique <laughs> New York. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Of that's from the ad li- the the Anchorman, Anchorman. ad libs. Yeah. Uh, what was the other? One? The Human Torch was denied a bank that's loan. That's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> the Human Torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> But yes, we're nearing July 1st. Yes. In the States, they have July 4th. We, for some reason, decided to go four days earlier as a nation. 
and celebrate our nation's birthday, mm-hmm. Canada Day, July hey! 1st. So today, we're going to be talking about Canadian horror. I think acknowledging Canadian horror is uh, something that needs to be explored. Because not only is it cheap to film in Canada, that's how you know there's a Canadian film industry, but we have our own mixed bag of goodies to deliver to the world. You've seen it in music. You forget sometimes certain bands and artists are Canadian. Beebs. Okay. <laughs> we he can he can remain to be not affiliated with Canada. I'm just kidding. I'm sure he's a lovely person. Stan Peters? Uh, I was going to say Rush. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but then there's, you know, I, I mean, uh, music would be a whole different avenue altogether. But obviously, just off the top of my head, Tragically Hip, big yes, one. of course. Our Lady Peace, I Mother Earth. Yeah, and, and, and maybe along those, when you say the hip, it makes me think of like kind of what we're going to go up talk about today. Like um, those, those pieces of entertainment that are uniquely yes. and represent Canada as a nation, you know, or as like a country. Um, a way of life. Um, yeah, the settings, the sounds, the oh, I see. Where you, I see what you're doing. Yeah, like the tragically hip to me is the ultimate Canadian band. If Canada as a country had a sound, I would almost think it would be something like the tragically hip. Most certainly, because they actually include like landmarks mm. and drop names without it sounding hokey. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, really big uh, accomplishment. For any artist of any style of music, movie, literature, etc., is to be able to seamlessly work in settings without forcing it. Mm-hmm. And I think Tragically Hip has been one of them. But uh, we're going to explore some movies that I think are either going to embrace its surroundings naturally or just say, yeah, this is Seattle. Exactly. Because that's one thing Canada's, I guess, not famous for, but... Um, it is a stand-in for a lot of Hollywood productions because yes. the you know especially in the eighties mm-hmm. the tax shelter and uh, it was just a lot cheaper to shoot here and you know cities like Toronto could stand in for a right Detroit or a New York or you now, know do you think that because of Clattenburg and the Trailer Park Boys do you think that that might have opened up the doors differently for Canadian content to be created at home more frequently? I mean, possibly. In my own experience, being as young as I was in the late 90s with the Trailer Park Boys being a new thing, I don't remember so many people talking about Canadian cinema outside of Canada as they had post-Trailer Park Boys. Oh, like actual Canadian cinema, not Hollywood productions yeah, being yeah, yeah, shot. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and they're definitely, actually, yeah, that makes me think in the 90s, especially, I mean, maybe because that's when I started paying attention to those kind of things, but sure. you'd hear a lot more about, um, especially with like the Toronto International Film Festival, movies that were, um, you know, shot in and set in Canada, Canadian productions and like right. specifically Canadian productions, getting a lot more notice in terms of independent, the independent film boom of the 90s. Definitely mm. helped a lot of countries in that way, yeah. um, but definitely helped, I would say, Canada. Which is funny, too, because you and I actually enjoy a lot more independent cinema anyway. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for some of our favorite movies to be made at home, you know, uh, within Canada, um, I might not have appreciated some of the subtleties that go into locations. Mm-hmm. Because once you once you recognize a location in the backdrop, whether or not it's supposed to be there in terms of it, if it being acknowledged or just being a stand-in for another place, you still recognize it. So like when you're watching Trailer Park Boys and they're outside of the trailer park and they're in the cities and whatnot, you're looking at King of Donaire that you've exactly. been to or uh, downtown in the movie where they're in the car well, chase. It definitely helps a lot. Yeah, it helps more when you're from that area. Like yeah. You're seeking out those locations. Oh, I know where that is. Oh, I've seen that. Oh, like that's where I go. He, you know, I go to school there or something. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. The majority of our listeners are not located in Canada. Mm-hmm. I ran our stats. Oh, they are not Canadian. Uh, the majority of our listeners are American. That being said... Not being Canadian, we're not going to alienate you by just featuring Canadian content. You're just be reminded that some of the stuff is made here in the Great White North. We're talking nostalgia. We're talking about 
uh, you know, our specific nostalgia, you know, sure. that, that's, you know, kind of what this show's about. So it is, um, it is, <laughs> it is, huh? Um, so yeah, Canadian cinema, that is a part of our, you know, our history and our story. And so I guess in a way you just, you know, you want to impart to, you know, a little wisdom on. Yeah. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, podcasting is all about sharing something. Mm-hmm. Hey, we are waving our flag. <laughs> I'm getting emotional, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle, what are you drinking? A mixed bag of Boxing Rock. A uh, mixed boxing, bag? Yeah, so Boxing Rock from Shelburne. I'm drinking their Blanche... Wait, am I saying right? Blanc. Uh, wit. It's like a Belgian white ale. I'm not going to lie. There's too many languages that he's trying to decipher that. I know. <laughs> It's like in German. It's like looks like German writing too. But anyways, well, it is a wit beer. Mm, so delicious. Wit beer. I got some lager and I got an IPA and I got a ESB. Sweet. Something happened to me on the weekend, also known as Father's Day, and uh, Happy Father's Day. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I entered a contest with Westside Wine and Beer. All you had to do was tag your friends, share the post, yada yada, and I won. A $50 gift card to the store. I also won five pounds of bacon. Thank you, Homer. And nothing more Canadian than really winning a bunch Mm. of Canadian beer and Canadian bacon. Mm -hmm. And boy, howdy. (laughs) And boy, howdy. Did I ever win. Um, So kudos to Westside Wine and Beer and the good friends over at Charboys. With supplying not only delicious goods, but delicious local goods. Mm. It's all love. (laughs) Yeah. And love actually is all around. (laughs) Wow. We're digging in deep tonight. You got to cook that up on Canada Day. Oh, really celebrate. Oh, well, you know what I want to do is I want to take the one pound of back bacon. That's the round. And I want to wrap it in the bacon. Oh, jeez. It's like a turducken. Uh, this is also my living will and testament in this episode, because after <laughs> I enjoy all of that, uh, there will be no more Matt. Can I have all your VHS? Of course you can. Okay, thank Also, this weekend, I scored huge. Mm. I got stacks. I got some VH stacks. Can't even believe it, because the spirit of... Kyle Smith must must have been in. Mm. I mean, I don't know how this happened. Matt writes me on Instagram and he shows me. He's like, "Look what I picked." I didn't. I didn't even realize he. I had just sent it. you the picture, and it's a copy of VH, a pristine VHS of a movie we talked about on our action. Our action. That's. I was like, "What episode was that?" The action films, Ninja Three: The Domination. Hello. How the frick did you find this? I don't know, but you know what? The shop owner didn't know where I found it because he goes, how did you find one without a price on it? <laughs> it's mad. I Man, this is magic. I know. And uh, I did uh, I did sneak a peek today of it. I've never seen it before. And you weren't kidding. That intro. The opening scene's amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's good. definitely good for a laugh, you know. But the scene where... <laughs> A guy takes out a gun and aims it at the ninja, and he takes a blow dart and blows the dart right <laughs> through the barrel of the gun, and the gun explodes in his hand. That's like Luke Skywalker shooting the core of the Death Star. If it wasn't, it, exactly, that was the <laughs> level of, expo- of explosion. But it's fun, what's funny because at the time that that movie took it, it was that was a serious. Nin action ninja movies. You so know I, I mean? did a little reading. Apparently, it's not the third in a sequel. It's just the third movie they made. Yeah. So there was. It's like they call it the canon ninja trilogy. It's uh, Enter the Ninja, Return of the Ninja, and then Ninja Three: The Domination. <laughs> it's kind of like remember what with the. Uh, uh, what Lucio Fulci tried to do with uh, the, the the third zombie film. He, oh. he wanted to call it because Dawn of the Dead in Italy was called Zombie. Yeah. And so Lucio Fulci did Zombie 2, but then in America, North America, it was just called Zombie. Right. Yeah. Confusing. Confusing, but Fulci. But hilarious.
we going to start tonight? Because there are so many movies to potentially discuss. We have movies made in Canada. Mm-hmm. We have movies featuring Canada. Mm-hmm. And we're talking specifically about horror movies. Yeah. All my movies are horrific. Some of them, I guess, aren't traditional horror, let's say. That's fine. You came to me with an idea about movies, classic movies that have, were filmed in Canada that maybe people didn't know were filmed in Canada. Sure. And then movies that are uniquely Canadian, set in Canada, featuring Canada. Right. So I kind of went with that idea. I have like double features on my list. I love One it. old, one new, I guess semi-new. I got some interesting... Well, if we had a Joe Bob equivalent, <laughs> it would be Kyle Smith. <laughs> Four stars. <laughs> Kyle says... Check it out. I'm going to start with my honorable mentions. 1982, a Michael Ironside film. Yeah, it's not what you think. I thought for sure there was something involving like white eyes and a open mouth. That and more on Nostalgunk. <laughs> this launched his career on stateside. I'm talking about Visiting Hours. Whoa. I've never, never even heard of this movie. Really? Yeah. This is a hospital slasher. Okay. If ever there was one, this is a great Great slasher. I think it's uh, criminally underrated, not just because it features Michael Ironside and um, filmed in Canada, but I absolutely love the dark, brooding character that he plays. He's almost like Michael Myers without a mask. Uh, Halloween 2, that's another uh, callback to a hospital slasher. He's very menacing. Anyway, worth watching. Mm -hmm. My second honorable mention, not... Not a Canadian feature, necessarily, but filmed in Canada. And that is the 1987 Stephen Dorff, The Gate. The Gate. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. So obviously it made with U.S. financing, but filmed in Canada. Mm -hmm. Little mini harbingers that come out of the ground. It's almost like critters meets trolls. I don't know. But anyway, those are my two honorable mentions. Kyle, what do you have? For your one honorable mention while you burp well, your way through that. I know. I, I'm just burping up a storm over here. These are only honorable mentions because we've talked about these movies before. They're very famous Canadian horror films. But I just wanted to... Just your honorable mention? Well, because, yeah. Like, I don't even know what it is. I know you hate me because I don't rank, but I want to talk about movies that we haven't talked about. Kyle, I hate you for other reasons <laughs> altogether. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, we've talked about these movies before. They've been featured in other lists on our episodes. Uh, I love these movies so much. Um, but you know, that, that's why I guess I just want to talk about other movies more. So I'm calling this double feature Happy Holidays. <laughs> and so, of course, we have <laughs> you're so cute with it. Happy Holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> So, of course, we have 1974's Black Christmas oh. by Bob Clark. Uh, of course, Amazing. iconic slasher. Probably one of the great... I, uh, I think it's the best Canadian horror film of all time. So, yeah, there, there goes my rankings out of the window. The best Canadian horror film ever okay. made to my okay. honorable mention. Okay. Uh, of course, we all know Black wow, Christmas. you assigned a number and status to a movie. Wow. <laughs> What? And it's just your honorable mention. Uh, Amazing movie. We all love it. I think I'd watch this one first, then I'd watch Black Christmas, because we talked about this one very recently. So Black Christmas being the classic that maybe people don't know was filmed in Canada just because it's like nondescript town. But this next movie, of course, Happy Holidays. It's Valentine's Day, My Bloody Valentine. You, you so Canadian, it's crazy, like set in Sydney Mines. We talked about this before. Yes, boy. It's just gr- a great setting, a great story, a great movie. Um, I cannot believe both of these movies are just <laughs> your honorable mentions. Because I just wanted to talk about movies we haven't talked about. Um, but yeah, Happy Holidays from Kyle from Nostaljunk. <laughs> Black Christmas and My Bloody Valentine. My first double feature. <laughs> I love everything about this so far. This is, this episode is off to a great start. But yeah, like you were talking about, like about seeing the sure. settings of the places you grew up in almost, yeah. like, and just playing in a band in North Sydney. I just love... Um, my bloody Valentine for that purpose. Like, well, oh, I know that street. You know. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that with a movie like My Bloody Valentine shows you how small Nova Scotia is to Nova Scotians because you see that movie and you're like, I feel so at home in this place. I know. And even the ocean setting is oh, just when you see, and that's why I like the fog so much. Yeah, yeah. We live in Beachville. <laughs> yeah. 
Every day is the fog. <laughs> okay, so my number 10, and I've talked a little bit about this before, and it was in our 1980 horror episode. Paul Lynch's 1980 prom night. Oh, yeah, okay. So that's a classic Canadian entry for a Canadian-made horror film. Now, not necessarily um, Canadian in its presentation, but definitely very Canadian in its vibe. Have you actually watched Prom Night? No. That's fine. It is important in the scope of the slashers, and I think most importantly is that it was only two years after Halloween, and Jamie Lee Curtis cemented her early reputation as Scream Queen with this slasher tale of revenge. Mm-hmm. My double feature. Yep, do your number nine. Is super accurate. I can't believe this worked out. 1980, Jamie Lee Curtis, Terror Train. That is a great double feature, actually. <laughs> Two <laughs> mediocre movies. <laughs> slasher movies. Both recognized as being important within their own genre. Mm-hmm. And like I've said before in the past, you can have a you know, 40% rating, 50% rating of a horror movie, it's still going to be a good time. And there's something really charming about Terror Train. And it's not just because Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, because if it didn't have her in it, it would have suffered a great deal. But David Copperfield is in it, the magician. And he plays a magician. magician. Very cool twist ending. I did want to mention again, one of the big grabs for that movie was the cinematographer for it, was Stanley Kubrick's cinematographer. Oh, yeah. And he did, that. and he did The Shining just in the same year. So I, I will say, and I think maybe this is a little sidebar, but I think you and I can both relate, is that there was a connotation for a long time that Canadian films were incredibly low budget mm-hmm. in terms of not good. Yeah. This movie is good, but they're working within the confines of a physical train. It's not a set. It's an actual train. That's my Canadian tie into it. Awesome. Is affordability, but creative. What do you got? My first official double feature, I am calling The Great Outdoors. And it starts with Rituals, also known as The Creeper, a 1977 horror thriller directed by Peter Carter, centers on a group of doctors who are menaced while on a camping getaway trip in northern Ontario. (laughs) And so I watched this movie the other day. And I'd never seen it before. Have you ever seen Rituals? I haven't. And it was on uh, quite a few lists that I found today. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's like a lot of, a lot of people compared it to Deliverance just because yes. of, the, of the very setting. A group of guys uh, get lost and stranded in the woods and they fight for survival while being attacked by you know, an unknown presence. We don't know until the very end who the person is and why he's doing what he's doing. But right. um, it stars... Uh, Gary Reinecke, Ken James, Robin Gamble, Lawrence Dane, and Hal Holbrook. Do you know who Hal Holbrook is? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> From remember the the crate creep show in the oh, crate. Oh, I know. Yeah, and he's in. Wait, he's in the fog. Yes, he is. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, five doctors, five friends. They're like doing an annual camping trip, and things go horribly wrong. They're not prepared. They get lo- it's, it, but it's a really actually kind of tense movie. A lot of great action sequences involving like rivers and mountains and you know decapitations. And there's some really creepy imagery too of the the person that's trying to get them. Uh, he leaves like deer's heads for them, and it's just I don't know. And it really showcases the Canadian outdoors. Nice, like the woods and the nature. Of, I like it. And it was shot and filmed in in uh, northern Ontario and set sure. there. My second, let's go a little little newer, maybe a lesser known movie to some of you. This movie is called Backcountry, mm. 2014 nature survival horror film written and directed by Adam McDonald. Uh, it's loosely based on the true story of a man, eat, hungry man-eating bear that attacked a man named Mark Jordan and Jacqueline Perry in the backcountry of Missinibe Lake Provincial Park, north of Chapelo, Ontario, in 2005. Wow. Uh, events for which Mark later received the Star of Courage from Governor General uh, Michel Jean. Basically, it's the, kind of the same setting as Rituals. It's a couple that get lost and stranded and get kind of stalked instead of a person. This time it's from a bear. And it's just like, you know, remember The Revenant and how crazy that, yes. that all that bear scene? Like, yeah. this is that kind of movie. I mean, a little lower budget because Canadian, but sure. just really harrowing kind of 
bear action sequences and and just fight for survival. I I love like nature fight for survival films, and I mean this movie's it's pretty good. It, yeah, the film was shot in. Powassan, Ontario, and Caddy Lake, Manitoba, nice. funded by Telefilm Canada and Northern Ontario Heritage Fund. Nice, Uniquely man. Canadian, set in Canada, a real Canadian story, uh, backcountry. Wow, you're, you're doing so much better at my own contingency than, <laughs> than I did. So for my number eight entry, I have the 1980 George C. Scott, The Changeling. Hey! Now, nothing more Canadian than Canada posing as another place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's my kind of embrace of this as a Canadian entry. Vancouver and Victoria, in their surrounding environments, posing as Seattle. There were other scenes shot throughout the U.S. as well, but most notably recognized as a Canadian horror film. We know the story. Quick synopsis. Unfortunately, a composer loses his family in a very tragic accident. Strong opener. Woo! Yeah, it's a devastating opening scene. It is. He moves into an old mansion and something happens mm-hmm. in there. Kind of a ghost story, straying from the slasher pack that was starting to develop. Definitely a, a highly praised film. Oh, yeah. And that is my entry for that. Mm-hmm. Following up, mm-hmm. number seven. Here we go. Michael Ironside, David Cronenberg. Yay! Scanners. <laughs> scanners. <laughs> Just that image. Hear the word scanners, and I think of that image. I, I don't I don't disagree, and I'm I'm glad that you do. <laughs> now, scanners is a very cool and different type of horror movie. Sci-fi, body horror, all of the above. It's it's happening. Well, it's a, it's Cronenberg. And Maybe one could say Cronenberg's not actually a horror director. He just films horrific things, but he has influenced so much. And that makes me very proud as a Canadian, as a fan of horror movies and a fan of Cronenberg, to recognize that he is a part of that upper echelon of directors that not only are from Canada, but actually embrace Canadian locations. It was shot on location in Montreal and Toronto. The lecture scene was filmed at Concordia. However, since the United States dominated the film industry and Canadian films were being marketed for international audiences, the film downplays its Canadian origin in favor of a generic North American setting. Yeah. As a Canadian, you will watch this movie and you will see that it's Canadian. Yeah. It's just, it's unapologetically set in Canada. Oh, yeah. And I feel like a lot of, like like what you were saying, a lot of... Uh, those movies kind of had to do that. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to appeal to the North American market, unfor- like, not unfortunately, but the reality is it was a, the U.S. dominated the film industry. So oh, yeah. you might as well make it as appealing to all of those people as you can. You know, And for some reason, like you said, there was just a stigma of Canadian film. It, it, people thought it was like low, not lowbrow, but... You know, a little cheaper, a little more crudely, I guess, you know. Campier. Yeah. And and to your point, maybe it's this kind of compliance. Canadian filmmaker, Canadian film industry, a film like this might be the gateway into Canadian cinema. You pose it as a non-threatening, just generic North American setting, only to love the director, the actor, and then you start going back and find out that, wow, this is all Canadian what else has this person done? And then you fall in love with the rest of the repertoire. Mm-hmm. That's the hope, anyway. So, yeah, that's my double feature. Changeling and Scanners. Two completely different movies. <laughs> All right, my next two movies. This next, uh, my next double feature, I'm going to call Werewolves, Zombies in Canada. Oh, my. <laughs> Because it was the best what a way. It was the best way I could connect these two movies. I, I guess the connection is that they're kind of monster movies. Um, the first one being what I consider a Canadian classic at this point, uh, even though I guess it's twenty. I mean, twenty years old is a fair amount of time. Uh, twenty one uh, from the year two thousand, uh, and where I'm talking, of course, about Ginger Snaps, uh, directed by John Fawcett, starring Emily Perkins and Catherine Isabel, uh, focuses on two teenage sisters who have a fascination with death. Uh, one of them gets attacked in the middle of the night by a werewolf. The werewolf ends up getting killed before the werewolf can kill 
Catherine Isabel, yes, uh, her character, and so she slowly starts to turn into a werewolf. But what I love about Ginger Snaps is like uh, it's kind of a high school movie. Yes, it's a coming of age yeah. teen movie that also just happens to like the metaphor and the the symbolism lends itself to being and transforming into a werewolf and like coming to your own. Like she starts to like get more confident and like the whole thing about the werewolf. I don't know. It's just a really awesome movie uh, that just keeps getting, I mean, I watch, I, every time I watch it, I'm like, man, this movie is fucking awesome. You know, yeah, it is. Uh, I always say a Canadian classic at this point. So Ginger Snaps is my number four. Oh, Okay. Principal photography took place in uh, October and December 1999. They only shot, it only took six weeks, and they filmed in three Toronto suburbs, Etobicoke, Brampton, and Scarborough. Yep. Uh, it served as the suburb, it's called Bailey Downs in sure. the movie. Um, but yeah, so even like watching it, I mean, I'm sure a lot of suburbs look the same. It kind of has that like Edward Scissorhands vibe, I it guess. Does. But it, it's a very Canadian vibe. It um, does, yeah that great sequence of her walking down the hallway and kind of semi slow motion. It's just like to the set to the music and everyone's turning their heads, you know, yeah. that classic thing, yep. but it's a feminist yes. film as well. Yeah. A modern spin on a werewolf mm-hmm. legend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really strange. A couple of weeks ago, Canada did not receive a Joe Bob's last drive in on shutter due to licensing issues. Oh yes. This is, this is out of, this is insane to me. So this film is very Canadian. So Canadian it was filmed in Canada, set in Canada, even a fictional town within Canada. They didn't even pretend that it was anywhere else. It was just in Canada. And we couldn't even get the licensing to watch it in Canada through a service that was American-based. Yes. Very bizarre. So bizarre. It did mediocre at the box office, but did well enough in terms of a cult following that it supported... Uh, a miniature franchise, as it were. Yeah, so yeah, DVD. I think home video is where it, and you know, cult status. I think that's where it helped it. Yeah, enough to exactly like, yeah, had two more sequels, I think. Yeah, Ginger Snaps Back and Ginger Snaps The Beginning. <laughs> if a film wasn't boasting its Canadian existence and was just filmed in Canada, for instance, would the film have performed differently in the box office? Mm hmm. Not sure. Question mark. Question mark. The name of my double feature, Werewolves and Zombies in Canada. Oh, oh my. my. Uh, so this, my second film is a 2019 horror film written and directed by Jeff Barnaby. It's called Blood Quantum. Uh, depicts the effects of a zombie uprising on a First Nations reserve whose residents are immune to contracting the plague because of their indigenous heritage, must still cope with the consequences of its effects on the world around them, uh, including white refugees seeking shelter on the reserve. Um, so this movie was filmed in 2018 primarily on the Kanawaki and Listogouge reserves in Quebec and the city also of Campbellton, New Brunswick, right Beautiful. around the corner from where we were. The title refers to blood quantum laws, which have been used in the States and Canada to determine indigeneity based on the percentage of one's indigenous ancestry. The director has described the film as offering commentary on colonialism. Interesting. Kind of a big hit. It debuted, I think, at the it was the Midnight Madness selection at the Toronto International Film Festival. I think it took second place in their their main awards. It's very Canadian. You know what I mean? Uniquely Canadian. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that's my that's my monster Canadian double. Feature. Okay, very cool. I'm going to move on to just a single entry, mm-hmm. and this might be controversial if we're talking about horror films. This is a Canadian-Spain co-production TFCA Film of the Year, Jake Gyllenhaal, Enemy. Oh, Enemy, okay. Have you seen this? Yes, of course. Do you like it? Yes. Very good. This is why we're friends. Deals with, like, doppelgangers and... And not, like, the tethered. No, not the (laughs) Yeah, that's a weird movie. It's super cool, and it's one of those heady kind of cerebral... I will call it a horror. At the end of the day, I think it's a horror because it deals with mental health, metamorphosis, symbolism Mm -hmm. through cyclical patterns that would kind of actually define mania. Mm -hmm. This film is set in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a weird. I remember that, that, that scene where he first meets up. He meets the guy. Like, this is nuts. So, so kind of spoilery, I guess. Well, any spoiler for this movie wouldn't actually spoil the experience of this movie. Are you well-versed on the symbolism of the spider? No. 
It's almost like Denis Villeneuve was like, I'm going to like make a art project. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, that's like a, there's a yeah. lot of lot of symbolism and yeah, know, it's a heady movie. For it's me. a heady movie, but just also great like architectural images in Enemy uh, that are very Canadian to me. Yes, I guess maybe because I'm you know I've been to Toronto a lot or you yeah. know a lot of I guess that hap- that is a, a big part of it. I guess, but it sure to me it, it definitely looks Canadian. I just love those Canadian. Yeah. You know, yeah, buildings. And and the other thing, too, that I really love about this film as being a Canadian piece of art is that clearly, because it's heady, is that people wanted to be involved in the film. Yeah, really, Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. And I think that's part of the heart of Canadian cinema is, I want to be a part of that. And you don't have to be from Canada. Mm-hmm. But because Canada's not afraid to explore those themes, topics, or um, art form, people just want to be a part of it. And I think a film like Enemy actually sums that up quite well. Mm-hmm. My next two films, right. double feature, is a double feature. I am calling Welcome to Canada for Real. And these are movies involving <laughs> real life monsters, real life people. I do, you love get, this. do you get the reference, man? Oh, I totally got it. And I loved it already. <laughs> Welcome to Friday Night. For real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so my first in this uh, double feature is going to be a classic. And this is actually, so this is one of the only ones that is actually an American production, uh, but filmed in Canada. And it's, but it's a very famous story. Uh, it, it, like this true life serial killer has inspired, I mean, my favorite horror film of all time. Maybe one of your, like, you know, it's one of the best horror films ever made in Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is the story of Ed Gein, and the movie is called Deranged, also known as Deranged Confessions of a Necrophile, a 1974 wow. directed by Alan Ormsby and Jeff Gillen, starring Roberts Blossom, uh, loosely based on the crimes of Ed Gein. Uh, it follows Ezra Cobb, a middle-aged man in a rural Midwestern community who begins a string of serial murders and grave robberies after the death of his mother, a religious fanatic who raised him to be a misogynist. Um, so how this is a Canadian connection, it was funded by American concert promoter on a small budget. The production took place in Oshawa, Ontario in the winter of 1973 with a largely Canadian cast and crew. Um, and I watched this the other day. This is kind of a weird, sick movie. It's kind of like the story of Ed Gein. Mm. Um, it's a very simple, very quiet horror film that just happens to involve very, very bad and disgusting, insane things. But it's just like, he's just like this lonely guy that's been kind of corrupted by the... He just he takes care of his mother for like 12 years as she's bedridden. Mm. Um I guess, you know, if you don't know the story of Ed Gein, his mother dies. He digs up her corpse and puts her back in the house and the mother talks to him and he has this odd sexual fascination with women that he can't deal with, I guess, in terms of he wants them, but then his mother says he can't have them. So he murders them and he like strings. There's a lot of crazy shit going on in Deranged. I think it was actually one of the video nasties, like the famous video Mm -hmm. nasties band in the UK. One of the craziest things about this movie and, and... I hadn't seen it for a long time. I watched it recently. Do you know who Robert's Blossom is? The actor who plays Ezra Cobb, a.k.a. Ed Gein? No. He's Old Man Marley from Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> like a movie 20 years before that, and but it's the same face, the same voice. It's very surreal mm. to, to, to love Home Alone so much yes. and then watch Deranged, um, mm. <laughs> in which he like stalks and... So he really was the South Bend Slayer. I mean, it's oh my god! Now that is a double feature, <laughs> deranged and Home Alone. <laughs> Only Kyle Smith can make that happen. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So that I mean, it's I don't know how classic or how well you know well loved deranged is, but you know, it was made in Oshawa, and it's you know the story of a classic real life monster. Uh, my second, okay, in real life monsters and. So it's kind of interesting that you just talked about Enemy because I consider Denis Villeneuve, aside from Cronenberg, to be probably one of the greatest Canadian directors we have. One of the most prolific. He's amazing. He's made Sicario. He's made Arrival. He's made mm. 
I mean, the new Blade Runner movie was kind of, uh, but that movie Prisoners with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal is also very, very good. Yeah, um, his debut movie was made in two thousand nine, Polytechnique. Uh, of oh. course, based on the nineteen eighty nine Ecole Polytechnique massacre. Uh, also known as the Montreal Massacre, reenacts yes. the events of the incident through eyes of two students who witness a gunman murder 14 young women. Uh, this is a crazy movie. It's filmed in black and white. It's kind of dark. I mean, of course it's dark. It's based on a real-life event. Apparently, the actress who played one of the women in the movie, Valerie, she helped produce the movie, uh, and she she wanted to make a movie about the massacre for years. She helped secure a Villeneuve for the film, who at the time, he apparently made like a movie called Maelstrom, I guess was his like mm. debut. École Polytechnique de Montreal gave the filmmakers the right to use the campus as a location, but Villeneuve opted against filming there to be respectful. So it was shot at Cégep de Maisonneuve and Collège Aounsic, as well as Griffintown and Westmount, which are neighborhoods in Montreal. Well done on your pronunciation. Thank you. Uh, and he shot it in black and white to avoid the presence of blood on the screen. Now, this movie is, it's kind of an arty film, but it's a very like bleak, kind of almost meditative mm-hmm. look at almost like impartial view of violence. The POV is from two of the students who just kind of like, you know, they're not expecting any of this to happen. One of the more effective scenes in the movie is the intro. Mm-hmm. And the intro, it's just, it's a hallway in the school. People are making copies. There's people hanging out. People are just kind of talking, and they're just—it's like—it's very just a static shot. And all of a sudden, shot just shots ring out, and people just like fall and smoke and shot. Right. It's just very insane, like the banality, I guess, of yes. of the mundane. Yeah, and, and how explosive violence can be when you don't expect it. Uh, of course, a very sad, a very just insanely sad story about a right. crazy gunman who. You know, hates women. For it's some almost reason. like tragedy porn. The mundane existence of somebody mm. just runs this baseline, and then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah. And now you're supposed to react because of that instance. Sometimes you come out of a film devastated, but maybe that's the point. Uh, I think ET. Well, that's a different kind of devastated. <laughs> but I think Polytechnique is kind of one of those movies. No, that's a um, that's a heavy one. Yeah, yeah. 1980 alone saw. The release of Friday the 13th, as well as two <laughs> New Year's Eve-themed horror movies. <laughs> Terror Train, which I mentioned already. New Year's Evil, as well as Christmas-themed films To All a Good Night. I've never actually heard of that one. And Christmas Evil, which I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. The wedding-themed He Knows You're Alone, which features the film debut of Tom Hanks, Prom Night, and Mother's Day followed by Graduation Day, and the Thanksgiving-based Home Sweet Home the following year. You did touch on one of my next entries. Oh. If I'm going to do a double feature, this is how I'm going to go. Love it. And I've mentioned this one before. You haven't seen it. It has an infamous cover. It's a 1981 slasher film directed by J. Lee Thompson, starring Melissa Sue Anderson and Glenn Ford. Its plot revolves around six brutal murders occurring around a popular high school senior's birthday. Happy birthday oh, to me. I know, I can't believe I still haven't watched this. It's fun, actually. <laughs> it's fun. Filmed primarily in Canada and upstate New York, reception was generally negative. It has since achieved a cult following. Mm-hmm. I think it's safe to assume that any 80s slasher film that was poo-pooed during its time is now appreciated. Maybe it's due to documentaries like In Search of Darkness yes. and VHS collectability. All of a sudden, old horror is becoming new again. I think nostalgia plays a part in that. We, 100%. The, the slick productions of modern cinema, people seek out the cheapness and luridness sure. of... Yeah. You know. And some of these covers are part of our nostalgia. Yes. That's so true we might have remembered or forgotten about the cover until you see it again. Shot in and around Loyola College in Montreal. Additional photography occurred at campuses at Concordia and McGill. I think for me, watching this film, you can tell that it's Canadian. 
you might recognize them from being Canadian watching Canadian television. Mm-hmm. So while not prosecuted for obscenity, the film was seized and confiscated in the UK under Section 3 of the Obscene Publications Act 1959 during the Video Nasty Panic. That one was? Yep. Oh my goodness. You haven't even seen it yet. It's not oh, even yeah. worth it. <laughs> so, so it was produced by John Dunning and Andre Link, a Cinepix production. Now, you might recognize Dunning and Link, again, on another Canadian slasher, which is also my double feature for this entry, My Bloody Valentine, 1981, um, hey! which went into production within a week of Happy Birthday to Me rapping. My Bloody Valentine was released first to meet the February 11th release date in time for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. You know what else I appreciate about My Bloody Valentine? It was a Paramount production. Yes. Very Hollywood production. Not only did they set the film in Canada, some of them try to sound Canadian, and it's very hilarious to like actual Canadians, I guess. Yeah, I know. It's very funny, but I do appreciate the fact that they at least, Mm. they wanted to try to be Canadian. Sure. In true Canadian fashion, the mine was cleaned up in preparation for the crew. How do you clean a mine? They clean they they got rid of all the garbage, they swept, <laughs> they, they tidied swept coal floor, like stone floor. Yeah. Old black lung got in there yeah. and started sweeping for <laughs> them. Yeah. But guess what? They got there and they're like this is too clean, so they fucked it all up again. A mine does not look this clean. Of course. But that is such a Canadian thing to do is like killing with kindness. Yeah. Like you go over the top with like the niceties and the holding of the door. <laughs> anyway, that's my double feature. So this is the part if we were like doing an award show, mm. there'd be the break for the um not in memoriam. We're not gonna go that dark. Oh my god. But the lifetime achievement award. Oh we're gonna give a special lifetime achievement award okay. to an iconic Canadian actor. Should we crack a beer? Oh, I just did crap. I'll cheers to him. Let's cheers. So I'm going to give the Canadian Film Horror Film Lifetime Achievement Award to Mr. Stephen McHattie. Aye. Cheers. Cheers, McHattie. Uh, and the first movie I'm going to talk about is a 1994... Now, this is a bit of a cheat, a Canadian television film uh, produced by CBC. Uh, won three Gemini Awards based on a true story, a very horrific, very dark tale that happened in our home province of Nova Scotia. It happened in Bangs Falls, Nova Scotia. It's called Life with Billy. A movie based on a novel mm. uh, by Brian Vallee. Wow. Uh, and it's about uh, Jane Hirschman uh, and her common law husband, Billy Stafford, played by McCaddy. Uh, St- Billy Stafford was a terrible person. Yeah. Uh, he abused, sexually abused uh, both Jane and her kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a very dark tale, very like, a, talk about like just, a, you know, I don't know, a decade, let's say, of just. A woman enduring the worst thing you can imagine by the person that's supposed to love you. Right. Uh, so what makes the movie, or what makes the story, I guess, most notable is that she finally got fed up and she kills him mm-hmm. while he's drunk, passed out in his truck. So yeah, even though she eventually served time in prison for manslaughter, uh, the initial verdict of not guilty... In 1982 was a pivotal decision that helped change Canadian law as it applies to battered women who kill their spouses. Uh, The Supreme Court in Nova Scotia ordered a new trial when the Crown successfully appealed, ruling the evidence of Billy Stafford's brutality against Jane served only to create sympathy for the accused. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, his brutality was insane. Um, The appeal court rejected Jane's argument of self-defense on the basis that her husband was asleep in the truck, when she shot him and therefore no immediate threat. But these developments led in 1990 to the landmark Supreme Court of Canada ruling that a battered woman should be allowed to use a plea of self-defense for killing her abuser, even if an attack against her was not in progress or imminent. Uh, It also ruled that evidence of battered wife syndrome and evidence of the deceased character were admissible in support of the self-defense plea. Uh, It's a very dark story. Stephen McHattie, although the character is just kind of... A terrible thing to watch. He's just amazing in it. He's he embodies the darkness of Billy Stafford just in a way that I don't know. It's kind of compelling, even though it's kind of a train wreck to watch. Um, but yeah, it's so one nominated for five Gemini Awards, won three uh, for direction. Uh, Paul Donovan, who's a local filmmaker, 
Uh, best performance by an actor, of course, Mr. Stephen McCaddy. And best performance by an actress, Nancy Beatty, who played Jane Hirschman. Actually, Americans might know him on an, on an opposite side. They might know him as the psychologist from Seinfeld, um, <laughs> if you wonder who Stephen McCaddy is. Oh but yeah, look God. him up. Uh, he's just such yes. a great actor. And so my second feature of in praise, in honor of Stephen McCaddy as a 2008 Canadian horror film directed by Bruce McDonald. But Pontypool is the movie I'm talking about. Uh, and this is a weird movie. You talked about Enemy. Uh, it's kind of already kind of out there, like very high concept. And Pontypool is, it's, it's like a zombie film set in a radio station. Uh, but Pontypool is a real town in Ontario. The movie was shot in Toronto, um, but it's about a radio DJ. It's like a late night radio DJ um, radio show. You mean like the Wolfman from House yeah, of Frightenstein? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's just in shock. Jock. Another Canadian. Yeah. Mention shock jock or something like I think it even takes place in the winter. Like they're holed up in this radio station oh, in the winter, in the middle of winter. Just a very graveyard shift kind of crew, uh, and a weird virus infects, kind of in a zombie way of inf- mm-hmm. starts infecting the population. But it comes through the story that it's like a, a virus of words, a virus of communication. Right. Um, but it's interesting to think about now in like in how the media portrays things or how things are said and how we believe things and how words can affect us as a society. Uh, this movie's kind of a weird commentary on that where it's like, yep. Yeah. So as certain words kind of like take over these people's beat, like at one point the guy tries to figure out how to reverse the symptoms and one of the girls starts to succumb to the word kill. But the DJ, Stephen McCaddy convinces her that the word kill now means kiss and her symptoms subside. Like it's a very, it's a very high concept, very kind sure. of already film. But yeah, the one girl and it starts like banging her head against like the control room window, and it's just like really good horror imagery in that movie. But Steve McCaddy plays the shock jock DJ, and he's amazing. He's always amazing. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Lifetime Achievement Award. Wow, Steve McCaddy, great job, man. Well, I'm going to move on to probably the. Top two obvious selections for myself because I haven't mentioned them yet, but you have because you only consider them an honorable mention. Oh, <laughs> well, let's bookend the episode with them. My final double feature is what I would consider the two best entries for Canadian horror. Number two is, of course, Bob Clark's Black Christmas. Hey! Hey! So, uh, I, I mean, we could go on for days about it, but um, the cast alone, you've got Andrea Martin in it. Yeah, so many good people in this movie. It's set in a very like Canadian kind of winter, isolated, <laughs> real-life existence uh, in Canada. There. So inspired by the urban legend, the babysitter and the man upstairs, <laughs> and a series of murders that took place in the Westmount neighborhood of Montreal, Quebec, Moore wrote the screenplay under the title... Stop me. Stop me. The filmmakers made numerous alterations to the script, primarily shifting to university setting with young adult characters. It was shot in Toronto in 1974 on an estimated budget of $620,000. Wow. So upon its release, it received mixed reviews, but it has since received critical reappraisal with film historians noting it for being one of the earliest slasher films. And I agree. Well, that PO, I mean, that initial POV, like, yeah. P, there is the people are arguing about which came first, John Carpenter's Halloween or Bob Clark's Black well, Christmas. And, and yes, I would argue both are pivotal in the influence of the slasher craze. But I would say that, yes, this is technically one of the first of the 80 slashers. Mm-hmm. It was the success of Halloween that influenced the slasher craze, but it's the style that Clark developed. Film has since received retroactive recognition and has been regarded as one of the greatest horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Here, here. <laughs> so, uh, developed by Canadian screenwriter Roy Moore, 
Moore also claimed to have been inspired by a series of murders that occurred during the holiday season in the Westmount area of Montreal. As noted in the article for The Telegraph, the murders, which occurred in 1943, were perpetrated by a 14-year-old boy who bludgeoned several of his family members to death. Yikes. Clark, who had felt the original script was too much of a straightforward slasher film, that's odd being pre-slasher, (laughs) <laughs> made several alterations in dialogue and also incorporated humorous elements in the film. The drunkenness of Barb, Mrs. Mack, Clark based on his aunt. I was going to say that, like, yeah, that what was she? What was she? Like a resident advisor or something. Right, you know? like the house mom or yeah. something like that, right? She had like, booze hidden all over the house. Like, you're of age. <laughs> Yeah, but she she can't yeah. be a bad influence to the kids, right? Unless she's making her own hooch in the toilet tank like a prisoner. Ew, that's that was the worst one. Was yeah, she pulls that like pint of whatever out of the. Cream. Clark felt that college and high school students had not been depicted in any sense of reality in American film, and he intended to capture the astuteness of young adults. College students, even in 1974, are astute people. They're not fools. It's not all bikinis, beach blankets, and bingo. That's what he said, beach blankets and bingo. (laughs) The host featured in the film was discovered by Clark when scouting for locations. Donors agreed to lease the home for the production. So Canadian. (laughs) Margot Kidder, obviously, like, and and she's a Canadian-American actor. She's actually really great in Black Christmas. Like a really fleshed out, you really thought out character. I think everyone in that everyone film is, is great. actually really good in it. Yeah, you're right. The kills are awesome. The killer is right terrifying. Yeah, like, the phone calls are terrifying to me. Still, oh my god! Like we went to go see this at a, a Thrillima screening or mm-hmm. whatever, like a a film screening they did locally. Mm-hmm. And man, I just remember sitting there and just like when those when the the phone calls and he's going like ah ah, and it's just like oh my god, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's it is it's it's a wild time. My my final entry it goes without saying, and and truly, I mean, this man doesn't need. Oh, I know what it is. Any more recognition for being not only a prolific director, storyteller, and also a Canadian in general. He reps Canada the most. He is the tragically <laughs> hip. He, he is the tragically hip to filmmaking for Canada. He is David Cronenberg. And I'm talking about 1983's Videodrome. There is so much good about Videodrome. <laughs> so much. And good. so much hidden Canadian content within Videodrome. Civic TV is based off of City TV, which is a Canadian product. And when Cronenberg was younger, he used to tune into the stations that were almost a pirated signal. From Buffalo, New York, which is close to Toronto. Mm -hmm. Close enough in terms of a UHF range. Turning on channels that you're hoping you're not going to see something that you're not supposed to see, but you kind of want to see it. Uh, That was his inspiration for Videodrome. City TV was known for playing porn late at night. (laughs) What was the other one? The Quebec channel TQS. Oh, of course uh, it was. Blue Nuit. Blue Nuit. I mean, Blue Nuit's. Man. Oh, we got to do an we got to do an episode on Blue Nuit. Remember, like showcase after hours, like yeah, Red Shoe Diaries. And, oh man, yeah. Emmanuel. Oh, fucking Blue Nuit. <laughs> Blue Nuit. <laughs> I get past the fucking credits and I was good. <laughs> just like picture, picture, fucking, just like young, like. Any young Canadian kid just like staying up till twelve o'clock, like I don't have wait, I don't have wait, HBO Cinemax. Waiting for the soft, the free softcore porn that was Blue Nuit. It's pre, <laughs> pre like cell phones and yeah, a high speed internet that wasn't on the family <laughs> shared computer. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, yeah. ready to press record. This is all completely relevant <laughs> to Videodrome, of course. That's Canadian. We're talking about Canadian experiences. Yeah, Canadian experiences. Yes, of course. All set within Toronto. Like you can even hear it on the on the TV stations and the radio in the background. They're talking Toronto. I mean, I'm going to give them. I'm going to call them my favorite, the best Canadian filmmaker for of sure. All time. Influenced body horror. Mm-hmm. You know, think of how locked into cell phones we are at this point. James Wood's hand transformed into a gun. 
a cancerous gun is not too far removed from the thought of our current connection to technology by our cell phones. Always in our hands. Always, always looking at it. Referencing. It's kind of disturbing. Very disturbing. Very relevant to a 1983 film. I give that the number one pick because not only is it Canadian, my God, what a great fucking movie it is. Just, yeah. It is really great. The idea of it, you know. We cannot continue on without mentioning this. Now, he's not a horror director, but he is a big part of, I think, the nostalgia of our age group. And that is, of course, Ivan Reitman. Oh, Ghostbusters. Course, <laughs> and he actually assisted in the funding of Cronenberg's first three films. Hmm. And without Ivan Reitman, he wouldn't have produced. Oh yeah, I Shivers, yeah. Rabid. Reitman's first film was called Cannibal Girls, and that featured Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin, <laughs> which is also marqueed as the film in Ghostbusters Two. Really? Once the ooze and the slime has taken over the city and the ghosts have started to emerge, That's amazing. you can see it in the background when the lady leaves the theater with the fur coat and all the fur coat animals start attacking her. That's crazy. So I, I had to yeah. mention... Unsung hero of Canadian cinema. I mean, come on. Kyle, take us home, baby. <laughs> um, it's funny you say that, Matt. Take because us home. I'm going to take us exactly, literally home. Oh, no. So... Uh, and also, we were just talking about Cronenberg and Shivers. Actually, another title that Shivers was known for is called They Came From Within, yes. right? So I'm calling this double feature. They came from the streets of Halifax. Oh, no. And Halifax is where we are from, of course. Uh, so the first film we're going to talk about is a 1983 Canadian action thriller directed by Paul Donovan, who also directed Life with Billy, uh, starring Tom Nardini. Brenda Bazinet, Daryl Haney, and Terry David Despraise. This movie's called Siege, a.k.a. Self-Defense. It is a vigilante thriller filmed in and set in Halifax in that it takes place during a actual very real Halifax police strike that happened in the 80s. Um, and it is uh, involves a fascist group who call themselves the new order and they want to set some new rules in town while the police in Halifax are on strike. They try to scare the patrons of a gay bar, but by accident, the owner is killed and the leader of the bullies then decides to execute all the witnesses. One man escapes and takes refuge in an isolated block of flats. And so then, then they then converge the people in the flat decide to take care of the guy that is trying to, it, so it's a vigilant, basically it's an assault on precinct 13 clone but it's set, it's filmed, and it takes place in Halifax during the police strike. Uh, and it's a kind of an unsung, a long lost really Canuck exploitation. Canuck exploitation. Uh, yeah. I love it. Being from Halifax, of course, like what we're talking about, it, everything is Halifax. Like you see the cityscape, you see the TD building, you see Sidrel Hill, you see uh, Atlantic, or what's it called? Not Atlantic Center. Uh, Maritime Center? Maritime Center. Whatever. Like the, the whole like landscape of Halifax. The old MT&T building. You see Goddard Street. You see like yes. all these buildings. Uh, so yeah, the, the streets of Halifax, of course. So that's, that's incredible. my first. It's called Siege. So wow. uh, I did mention Jason Neisner. Of course, Matt probably knows where I'm going to go from oh, this. Yes. They came from the streets of Halifax. Um, the second movie I'm going to talk about, of course, Hobo with a Shotgun, 2011 Action Exploitation, directed by Jason Eisner, starring the great Rudger Hauer as, it. as the hobo. Um, and so this was a movie, uh, maybe, of, of course, any American people listening that might know of the Grindhouse double feature that Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez uh, put out in theaters. And so they held a nationwide contest or a North American contest for trailers. And this was one of the movies... So Jason Eisner, he was a guy from Dartmouth. He hadn't made any movies. He decided to make a fake trailer to enter this contest. He won because the trailer was amazing. And it was like a perfect throwback to those like cheesy 80s vigilante kind of like street, street justice grindhouse. And it was called Hobo with a Shotgun about like a, ho- a homeless man that lives on the street that takes justice on like dirty cops and pedophiles. There's like a pedophile Santa at one point and 
then, because of the popularity of the trailer, he got funding through Niv Fishman. So he developed it into a feature-length film. Rudger Hauer amazingly came on board for this movie. Uh, and it's, it's a great, like, even though it was filmed in 2011, mm-hmm. it's just, he has such a, a weird eye for that style of grindhouse kind of throwback, yeah. um, exploitation, like dirty, really violent, gory action. Um, and it's just a, a great time. It's a, yeah. you know, and, and it's set, and this is the great thing about Hobo with a Shotgun being filmed and set in Dartmouth and, and Halifax is that you can see, you know, the McKay Bridge and the McDonald Bridge and Godden Street. There's a great sequence where the, the, the very start of the film where you can see the marquee mm-hmm. and just the buildings that are all around that. I don't know. Yeah. As I guess as a Nova Scotian, a person from Halifax, it, you know, it just, I just love it so much because I can identify. It's a pretty straightforward vigilante film, but just one that I love. And it's a know. great film. Yeah. So yeah. there we go. That's they came awesome. from the streets of Halifax. Wow. Siege and Hobo with a Shotgun. I'm Kyle from Nostalgia Junk Podcast saying when life gives you razor blades, you make a baseball bat covered in razor blades. And I'm Matt from Nostalgia Junk Podcast saying, How's it look? Yulish. Very Yulish. Ha 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 ha.